Hi, I'm Clemmie Telford and it's time to get open and get honest. Each week, I interview a guest about a topic that we, as a society, often shy away from. From sex lives to salaries, life and death, religion and real bodies, no subject is off the table. Welcome to Honestly, the podcast. In this episode of Honestly, I'm joined by the wonderful Dr. Woolrich, an NHS surgical doctor and Instagrammer who was able to take time out of his busy schedule back in February to chat to me. We talk of the importance of empathy, kindness and compassion in what he does, as well as the stresses of working for the NHS. Little did either of us know what was to follow, both as a country, but also for those working on the front line in the National Health Service, as we now see ourselves in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is a timely episode, which I hope you enjoy. So the name of the game is, to be honest, and to, to get you in the mood, we start with a quick fire round. Okay. On a scale of one to ten, how fun are you? Oh, I think nine, prob- girlfriend would probably say seven. Let's go with that. <laughs> At least you know. Yeah, it's still high. On a scale of one to ten, how popular are you? Oh, uh, five. Sorry, it's a very, that's, I know these are quite No, trivial. I'm going with that. Five's good. Five's good. Polarising. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to be liked by everyone, do you? Just <laughs> no, but like- I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> we all. On a scale of one to ten, how rebellious are you? Oh, now... Four, you probably used to be an eight or a nine. So funny. Uh, everyone I speak to, you do definitely grow out of it, don't you? No, there's too much fear. The yeah. older you get, the too much there's, the there's too much fear of being too rebellious and getting into trouble yeah. because the stuff you that could be ruined by getting into trouble yeah. matters too much it's to true. you now. It's not bunking up school, <laughs> is it? Yeah, I imagined you were right at school because you've done a job that involves <laughs> you being good at school. Um, what is your favourite colour? Pink quick i like it most prized possession oh oh i don't know i'm trying to my brain is going is it the most expensive one is it the thing that matters the most i don't i really don't know prized possession and then everyone really is your phone yeah no no it's not because i'm not proud of that i think it has to be something i'm proud of for it to be prized because i can replace my phone true it's like something you can't replace right i don't know I, I refuse to answer that question. Okay, boy, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. It's too hard. No, and, and maybe there isn't, you know, there's very few things. How would you describe your relationship with money? Yeah, very good, actually. Confident, I like it. Yeah. Do you believe in marriage? Yes. Is it ever okay to lie? Hmm. The fact I haven't said no straight away means yes. <laughs> what star sign are you? I think Aries. Don't know. When don't really you born? No, no, I, I knew what stance you'd take on this. But April. Yeah, you're an Aries. <laughs> That's a ram, right? Yeah. It's, Boom. Done yeah. it. I'm in. Yeah, but that also means that when your head's down, you're not very good at stopping and thinking. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you want to be remembered for? Integrity. Oh, that's a good answer. And that came too quickly. If you could have more of anything, what would it be? Time. And three words your inner critic or imagined worst enemy would use to describe you. Arrogant, privileged. I'm smirking. All the other ones are just some play on those two. Versions of that. Yeah. The big topic today, which actually I can't lock in on, but it's broadly health or healthcare 
or the NHS or doctoring, but doctoring isn't a very good word, is it? Doctoring's a great word. Yeah, I just want a singular word, but yeah, broad, all of those things, and we'll see where we get to, and then I can name it afterwards. Health, in quotes. Health, yeah, yeah. I think so. So, tell us about you and your career, what you specialise in, and what motivated you to do medicine. So, I am a surgical trainee about to apply for registrar training in orthopaedics so hopefully i will actually get a job because otherwise i'll listen to back to this and be like oh that was when i was so confident but can you um, keep go- do you can you apply i can it? apply again the following year but every year you wait the harder it gets to really to meet the criteria or the, the more points you lose for having taken more years out and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's currently where i am i did six years at uh, imperial college in london and I am in my fifth year of being a doctor at the moment. Fifth or sixth? One or the other. So that is a bit of an odd story. I came home and told my mum I was going to do medicine and she said, yeah, we'll see. So to backstory to that, I'd never, ever mentioned it. Oh, really? Before. Just okay. Yeah, How I'd old were you approximately when that? 16. Okay. Yeah, no, like right at the beginning of like trying to choose what to apply for mm. at uni because obviously like that was the, the kind of school I went to. They said, well, you go to uni. So... Mm. I just had to work out what it was. And in the career book, all of the subjects I was doing in A-levels... Fitted into that. Well, yeah, it was either scientist, which I thought was boring, because I thought being a scientist just meant you're in a lab and I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I like talking to people. I didn't want to be a teacher because I was in school and yeah. I, I was like, if I had to teach the people that I am currently in school with, I would probably not want to do myself. So I didn't want to be a teacher. And then the other one seemed really boring. And doctor, I was like, oh, yeah, that looks interesting. I'll do that. It was, it was. That's not what I told the medical school interviews because otherwise no, yeah, that, would, that wouldn't have worked so well. Um, I I quite like the fact that it was that way around though, just because of the fact that I had no preconceptions about but what being such, a doctor was going to be. Such a huge decision because it's going to shape so much of your life. Well, it didn't feel like it at the time though. No, you so that was also quite nice as well because I was just like, oh, that that looks fun. I'll apply for that. That's that sounds cool. No. So I just took what came, and it it's ended up being really nice because I've made. I feel like I've made the job what I enjoy it to be. Rather and, than preconceived idea. Yeah, rather than just being like, my parents are doctors, I'm going to make lots of money, I'm going to be really like highly regarded and all that kind of stuff of what you might think being a doctor is. Yeah. And you go into it and realise that you're kind of often treated like dirt and you just, you know, really don't get paid that much for the time and work and effort. Um, still get paid a fair enough yeah, amount, though, just but, to clarify, but not what you would expect necessarily. No, that's what, as you were saying that, I was like, I really would be surprised if that's people's motivation to go into medicine is for the money. Well, when people, if if it is, then people soon You're going to be soon soon leave. sad, isn't uh, Yeah, they, they soon leave because they realise that's not, or in this country anyway, yeah. they realise that's really not how that's going to work very well for them. But as a kid, like 16-year-olds, obviously you, you think about things like that, right? You're yeah, like, yeah think about money and you're like which job is going to pay me well and all this kind of stuff and which job is going to get me girls and it's it's like I'm assuming but I literally looked at it and was like oh that looks really cool I realized that there was a lot of stuff in my kind of growing up that seemed to fit with it so like my dad was now or is an alcoholic and so I'd had times when like ambulance service would turn up at the house and I'd seen other things and there'd been like healthcare stuff going on my aunt was Mm. a nurse but I didn't really know but I realised afterwards and just stuff like that that seemed to fit with the stuff that I enjoyed and the stuff that really interested me, but I didn't realise it. So it's, it, yeah, I don't know how it ended up happening, but I, I'm, I'm really grateful that it did. Now I was going to ask you what your average week is like, but there's, that's almost a contradiction in terms, isn't it? <laughs> my average seven weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a seven-week block. <laughs> well, at the moment, my shifts are split up into a few 
different ones. I'm either I'm either on call, which isn't from home. That would be lovely. And this is like twelve and a half hour shifts in the hospital because I work in orthopedics. So if you if you break your leg, for example, and turn up to A and E after you leave A and E and get admitted to hospital, you then get seen by me. So as the on call team, you would be the first person from that specialty to see the patient coming in so yeah i'm not at home being called about stuff which would be amazing at some point when i'm a consultant later (laughs) in another like six seven years then i'll get to be at home and only get calls about really 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 disastrous stuff but at the moment you're just there the whole time so i'm either doing that day shift or night shift or i'm spending about nine although it varies often more hours from like eight till five in theater so in the operating theater or with no clinic. breaks? I mean, they vary. They're, they're, I mean, if in theatre you have breaks in between patients whilst the anaesthetists are putting the patients yep. to sleep. Um, and then there's often kind of a self-administered, like, half an hour when for you... lunch kind of thing, just whenever we find the appropriate... Or we, you know, just keep going and have lunch in between patients that are being operated on. Because everything, it gets a knock-on effect as soon as you delay stuff. So, yeah, it, lunches and breaks are just... Yeah, they just come and come and whenever they whenever they do do you love it the job yeah Yeah. do you some shifts more than others some parts of the job more than others but overall yeah it's an amazing privilege to do to be a part of people's lives that you just would never be a part of like how many as much as it's not the most fun part of the job like the fact that i get to be the one that goes and tells family members that they're you know, that, that has that conversation about their parent or their relative being really unwell and having and making plans and working out what's what's, what's going nice. to happen when they die and things like that. And just those kind of conversations, as much as they're really hard, they, they feel incredibly fulfilling because they're like someone's got to have those conversations. Mm. And, and I, I think it's not a bad thing to know your strengths. And I feel like one of those, the it's ability not. to have those conversations is one of my strengths. It's an unbelievable, yeah, it's weird. There's two such massive skills there. Obviously, the job of surgery, but the, the people skills, and actually, I always have a section. Well, that's a learned skill. Anyone can learn to operate. The difficult part of the job is actually the communication stuff. Mm. You can do the best operation in the world, but if you haven't consented the patient properly, you haven't actually told them about what the operation is meant to do and how they are yeah, going to be in pain afterwards and how they need to really be aware of that so that they can work on it. If they're in pain afterwards, they didn't realize they were going to be in pain afterwards because no one told them. They're not going to do the exercise they need to do to get better. And so the best operation in the world is going to turn into something that didn't work. Do you kind of get... I'm literally asking all the questions I've ever wanted to ask. Do you no, get over the that anxiety that most of us feel when we go into a hospital? Oh, no, no, there's absolutely zero of that. It doesn't feel like a hospital to me because it's my so job. It literally feels it's, like work. Yeah, yeah, it's where I am. So it's this is you think it's what I do day by day. It's, uh, it, it's, it, but it's what, I'm, it's what I'm used to. It's, mm. you know, I, I, however, I still get a, a good fair amount of it if I go into a hospital and I'm not there for work. I went with a family member recently and and it was all very, very strange because I said to one of, uh, to her when I, uh, at one point, that I felt at the point in which I had to leave her was the bit in which I really realised that, that I didn't have any control in this situation because I was like, well, now, like, I can't just... In a normal hospital, I can go you anywhere. Can manage My it. badge yeah. takes me anywhere. It takes me through every door. I can follow anything. I can look anything up on the computer. I can, I can check. I can make changes to things. That, and this, I had zero control. Mm. And so I could, I could be helpful in like a clinic setting if I went with her, and I could talk about yes. stuff. I could be helpful on the ward, talking about stuff. But as soon as like, I couldn't follow. 
I was then like, I am literally useless. Like, I yeah, no, and, and not having control no is is really disconcerting, yeah. isn't it? It makes no difference. I'm a doctor anymore. Like up until then, the, being a doctor helped. Well, like it mm. was kind of helpful because I knew how the system worked yeah. and I knew what kind of questions to ask. And then at the point in which I had zero control, I was like, well, what was the point in being a doctor? Like, I can't do anything now. <laughs> but on the flip of that, do you feel weighed down by the like the responsibility of it? That whole, or is there a doctor on the flight thing? Does that? Uh, that hasn't happened yet, so I'm not sure yet. But um, and I just tend to forget about that stuff. Do you not worry? Do people not always come to you with their medical problems, though, like your mates? There's Would a, you mind just having a look at this? There's there's a mix. Like it was, there's either people who should ask me about something, and Aren't. and choose not to, mm-hmm. um, because they're like, oh well, I don't want to bother him because you know it's it's his job and he probably gets asked lots and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes I'm like. I, I wish you'd have just asked me because I could have given you really quick some on. really basic yeah. advice and you probably should have gone and got that checked out sooner. And do you know what I mean? And then there are people who, not as many of them, but people who will ask you about anything and everything. And you're like, why are you asking me about this? Yeah, literally, like, you can find the answer oh, after this really yeah, quickly. I'm like, well, it's also like, well, it's... It's like a lawyer being massively subspecialized. So you wouldn't ask someone who yes. does your does you know does the legal stuff about buying a house about about a divorce, <laughs> divorce. proceeding, right? Yeah. Like they just wouldn't know. We're going to go on a little bit of a tangent now, I suppose. As if you didn't have one big job, you then decide to take on a kind of second career, didn't you? It wasn't I, deliberate. I know it wasn't deliberate, <laughs> but this is where you ended up, and you are now hugely popular. Actually, I followed you from really, really early on. What was your original handle? Mm, it was called Unfattening. It's all right. Mine was Pekka Mama, which is, like, awful. <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking back at some of your really old stuff today. Mm. It's, it's, it is mad to be able to document your own personal journey mm. through through social media, isn't it? You're like, oh, wow, I've come a long way. It was, yeah, it was weird. I mean, I, I started it in my second year of being a doctor. And at the time, I started feeling really uncomfortable that that I was giving kind of health advice to people and I didn't stereotypically look healthy myself because I was what you would classically call overweight. And so I, f- I just felt uncomfortable. Like I, I felt like I couldn't be, I couldn't improve as a doctor unless I lost weight, which was a really strange yeah, what, um... thought process. Some of it, it is weird because even though, even though I know that's not true, some of it was weirdly valid because the the world is such that people would and probably did take me less seriously giving health advice because of the way that I looked because the assumption generally is that if you're overweight you can't be healthy full stop and I thought that of myself too and so part of that was true that actually I probably would have been listened to and respected less as a doctor it's really shit it's really shit that that's the case but because of that and not understanding any of the nuances or anything behind it as far as I was concerned I was like okay fine well I I need to finally do this in the right way whatever the in quotes whatever the right way was um because as I'm sure you would probably um feel with me growing up or being over a certain size that the world tells you you should be then you tend to attempt to change that Mm. on a uh, recurrent basis yeah. <laughs> and you know it tends on average not to work very well so you've kind of gone on this journey of knowing that you needed to were you feeling like you needed to lose weight yeah and then i know again from following you then go the other way because yeah so what so i so the the reason it was called unfattening is because i thought it was a cool word uh, <laughs> and it was catchy and i was doing what 99 percent of instagram accounts are which was documenting a weight loss journey mm. I happened 
to be successful with it, but I came across a lot of things on the way that started challenging kind of the reasons and the motivations behind it and what I thought about weight loss to mm. be true. And it was stuff that I couldn't, it was stuff I couldn't ignore and it was stuff I couldn't argue away or rationalize in my head. The stuff with, with the majority of people that diet failing, like I kind of always knew that, but it was mm. in my head, when I was start. always just like, oh, it's just because they're not doing it properly. No, once you start and reading was, the yeah, stats and, on and it. And when I realized that actually that wasn't the case, it wasn't just because they weren't doing it properly, it was because of a multitude of other reasons that I was like, okay, well, I should probably stop promoting it then. It was, yeah, it wasn't a fun time. Because you were healing, well, that's going to sound like a right old hippie, especially in front of a doctor, but you, because you were learning your relationship with food more. Yeah, yeah. Weren't you? Yeah. Well, no, I used that phrase. That's fine. But no, I was going to say healing yourself. And then no, I, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah I, was, I was healing my relationship with yeah. food. That's fine. You can heal a relationship. Yeah, you that's, can. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. We all acknowledge emotional eating and all of the you know, behaviours around food, don't we? Yeah, it's complex. Food and it's complex. way more complex than just, well, I shouldn't keep crisps in the house and all this nonsense. <laughs> and it's just, I, I realised that my kind of one-track mind of, you know, weight equaling health and... You know, every patient that I see, I should get them to lose weight as well. And all this kind of stuff was just really, really, really unhelpful and problematic and actually harming their health rather than benefiting them. And at this point, I'd gained a, a relative, in my mind, what I thought was a relatively large following on Instagram, which it was, I think when I started thinking about this kind of stuff, I probably had maybe like 30,000 followers. I was like, well, now I have a responsibility to actually tell them about this stuff that I'm now coming across because up until now, they're all following me based on this, these weight loss tips I'm giving them. And I don't want to be part of the problem. Now I've recognized there's a problem, then either I shut this down well, or I change it. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's, re it's really good to have to have been public about that journey because it's a huge shift and it's it, dark culture and everything that goes with it is something that's so implicit to so many people that when you start going oh no this is a thing it's a massive journey to hmm. to unpick isn't it as part of this podcast i always ask the good people of instagram for their insight on any given topic and actually in relation to this particular bit i asked them if they've ever felt judged for their weight by a doctor hmm. and 45 percent had which, only 45 yeah quite a good number you think <laughs> yeah i would have expected it to be a lot higher than that just because weight is so synonymous with health as as a thought process and you're going yeah, to the doctor it, for health so that becomes part of it yeah. i had lots or several medical professions saying that they are duty bound to flag it i've <laughs> previously felt more judged for my weight you know at, at any given point than how much i was drinking and i now don't drink or like not that i was ever drinking a huge amount but it's mad that someone could admit to their al alcohol intake and feel judged for. well doctors drink alcohol too so therefore yeah. in their head it's like oh well, it's fine so you don't mention it as much and then yeah, but yes. you'd feel terrible for tipping the bmi scale but yeah, mm -hmm. so many people self-edit the amount of alcohol that they drink yeah. when, when telling their doctor. It, I mean, alcohol's a toxin. Like, yeah. it's just how much toxin can your body handle? Yeah. Um, and you know, this is not this is not as nuanced a conversation as, no. as weight and but health just, and everything else that comes, that, that plays a part in that. No. And yet we, we give alcohol far more nuance than we give weight. Shall I tell you some of their other answers yeah, about other things? It. I asked them how they felt about the NHS. And these yeah. were some answers. These actually made me cry earlier in the week, so I'm hoping I'm going to be better at it. <laughs> Might have just got me at a bad moment, very sleep-deprived. Um, a national institution that should be protected. I'm grateful for it, but insecure about it. 
When it's good, it's marvellous. When it's bad, it's distressing. Mm. It's abused and will fail because too many won't take care of themselves. I'm worried about it. We are so lucky to have it. It's the very best thing in the world. They are overstretched lifesavers. It's a wonderful gift. I'd agree with all of that, apart from the too many people won't take care of themselves statement. Really? Yeah, everything else. It's great. What? Say more about that. What? So, I mean, I, I'm making a judgment, but I don't know who wrote that, but I would imagine the person that wrote that is from a place of relative privilege. privilege. Like myself and like yourself. And, mm. you know, the, the assumption that people are only unwell because they don't take care of themselves really is really, the really harmful as yeah. an assumption. There is so much privilege in health, so much impact of socioeconomics. Mm. It, yeah, it's unreal. The, yeah. The, 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 people that, the people that are the healthiest in life are the people that are the middle class mm. and they're the people that use the healthcare system the least. Yeah, they're often the people that complain the most about mm. the healthcare system being abused by people who can't take care of themselves and just eat too much and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I would I would challenge that one. Yeah. But the rest of it, great. <laughs> yeah. I asked people if they ever avoided seeking medical help and 60% said they did. Yeah. And I said, ask them why? Because resources are precious. I don't want to be a burden because I have kids and I have no opportunity to get there. Because the last few times the doctor has just Googled whilst I was in the office and printed off the results. What's, the, what, what's your feedback on that? <laughs> Which one, the Googling yeah. one? Yeah. <laughs> but they'll, they'll just be Googling on the NHS website, won't they? Yeah, a lot of the time. So, I mean, it's, it's Maybe difficult. that's a sign it's, of whether you should actually have been at the doctor's. The, the Googling one is interesting, right? So you, if a lawyer wasn't allowed to use their legal books mm. and legal documentation to help them with a case they'd be a pretty shit lawyer, yeah? If a doctor wasn't able to use the, the knowledge that is out there, the research that's out there, the, the anatomy books that are out there to, to read up on, on a regular basis, then they'd be a pretty shit doctor too. There are certain things that I will remind myself by Googling. Mm. The difference is that I know which ones on Google to what ignore. Yeah. And I know how to filter the information out. So yes, when somebody, a layperson, Googles about a condition and they come across random stuff, that's not helpful. Yes. But the yeah. internet is an amazing thing and Google isn't inherently bad. It's how it's used. Such a good answer and something I hadn't really thought about. More answers to why they avoid seeking medical help. They don't want to hear the answer. That's not good. If you don't want to hear the answer, you should probably definitely go. They, what, as in they or the... The doctors what, don't no, want to hear it. No, oh, okay. the patient. Uh. You should probably go. Don't want to come across as needy. I mean, surely it's better to see end up seeing someone who's healthy and turn them away than someone... I'll often say, you know, I would rather you come back and us able to, to reassure you that actually it's fine yeah. than you not to come back and us wish we'd have seen you earlier. Exactly. Of course the NHS is stretched and of course you may end up spending four hours in A&E just to be told it's just a cough, you'll be okay. However, but that's a great those times when it's not just a cough and you spend three weeks at home in, or two months at home and you come back and it happens to be something more sinister, then, you know, both you and I would wish that you'd have come in sooner. Yeah. Well, I just always think if you're, you have to be hugely grateful if you get to a &E and you're not rushed through, you mm. know, that means something that yeah. you're probably all right. Like, and, and 111 it, is a really good resource oh, yeah, as well, we just all, to clarify. Like that phone number, they pick up quite quickly. We always end up on one but I have they to say they're on the side of caution a lot yeah, of the time but, but only, yeah. they will they will often tell you if you don't need 
to go to any or go to the GP, but at least start there. Like, see, like talk to someone. And the last answer was, I'm a hypochondriac and nine times out of ten, it goes away. Well, that's good. Lucky you. <laughs> Questions you wish you could ask your doctor. How are you? Lots of people wanted to know how you were as a doctor. They didn't know it was you particularly, uh, but they were caring about their doctor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we don't necessarily have the time to, to answer that question, unfortunately. That's no. the problem. But yeah, I mean, it's going to vary. Yeah. It varies day to people. day. Usually the answer is tired. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that tends to be, tends to, I've noticed that recently. That tends to be the answer I tend to give when people are like, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm a bit tired. It's not good for my health. It's like, you need to get some more sleep. Uh-huh. And you? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, is there training for bedside manner? So we do communication skills training at medical school. We do. Uh, the The problem is that it's it's a learned skill, mm. and some people are better at it than others. Yeah. Knowing whether somebody will have good bedside mm. manner is incredibly hard. And actually, bedside manner comes from compassion, and compassion is not a learned skill. Compassion you can't really teach yourself. You can teach yourself to pretend to be empathetic, but real compassion is 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 something that comes from experience really in my yeah. mind there are so many people that i meet and i'm like you'd be such great doctors because like they're just i personally like communication skills and and compassion are so much more important than the other excellent one. people skills and a, an incredibly scientific mind aren't necessarily naturally a, a, a well-known combo <laughs> are they no and it's like yeah it's an interesting thing they're very different skills yeah because you'll need to be someone who's buried your head in the books a lot doesn't mean you've got yeah it's interesting and then great... you best spend less time talking to people <laughs> if you spend well, all that time in the, the library <laughs> why does it take so long to be discharged <laughs> many reasons because okay so let's say you're in any and you are waiting for drugs necessarily to come from pharmacy before you can leave. Mm-hmm. That will take time because if you're able to leave, you're not as unwell as the people that can't leave. And so there's a priority list of people and you are you may be lower down on that priority mm. list because of the fact that you're more well and you're not going to die. If you're in hospital and you're waiting to be discharged, it's not just one person that has to sign you off. You've got the doctors, you've got the physios, you've got the occupational therapists, you've got the social care workers, you've got the nursing staff, mm. you've got everyone who has to play a role in getting you to leave or be able to leave in a safe manner. And often things go wrong when people are kicked out quickly, not when people take time to leave. So there's a balance. And sometimes it's just because someone hasn't done the thing they're meant to do yet. But often that's the last reason rather than being the most common reason. There's a whole, yeah, there's, there's lots and lots of processes. And it's one of the things that is really, really hard to truly understand until you've worked on a ward and you've realized and you see all the different things that slow things down or have to happen for things to work smoothly. And again, to your point... Underfund anything and it will slow down. Yeah. Promise. And also, when you're waiting to be discharged, you're probably feeling well. So all of those minutes, hours, half hours, whatever, feel much bigger. Whereas for for the old person, time, time, time... But, you know, I've been before and you're literally looking at the clock because you're desperate to go, aren't you? But as you say... Minutes go slowly when you're yeah. wanting to do something else. And you're, and you're not in control. I mean, it's not, people don't like it. None of us like being out of, you know, and you feel like you could just go over to someone and say, let me go. I understand it. the feeling. I want to go home too by the end of the day. <laughs> we all want to go home. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But that was a, a useful answer. People just don't know the answer to these questions, so it's good. Yeah. Someone said, what should I do about my anxiety? And my own personal um, two pence worth for this, I've 
um, got generalised anxiety disorder. And I have to say, I've only ever been treated brilliantly about mental health issues by the NHS. Like, going to a GP, for you going to talk to them about mental health is just the same as going as any other illness. Mm. And, and to not feel any differently, you know. I think we've, as in general, the NHS, I think, has got a lot better. It doesn't mean it's perfect. No. But um, in general, I think it's got a lot better at dealing with mental health. I think people are a lot more... I think doctors in general are a lot more uh, read up on and a lot more understanding of how important it is and and people are treated less like they used to be. There's less stigma around mental health. It's still there, but there's yeah. a lot less of it. But, I mean, to answer the question, as in what should I do yeah. about my anxiety, tell someone. Yeah. And that can both be you don't always need professional help, but it's not a bad thing. No. And from people that I've heard who have had professional help about things like that, they almost all of them unanimously say, I wish I'd have gone sooner. Yeah. And you can always go and then not need it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great too. Well, they'll give you options, won't <laughs> exactly. they? Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, telling telling people you trust, telling your friends, tell your family as if you can trust them as well, because I know that's not always an, an ability yeah. for some people, and then talk to a doctor about it. And don't refuse to go just because it's going to take 12 weeks to see somebody more, you know, see a psychiatrist about it and stuff like that, because if you need to, because, yes, the waiting times are long, but the waiting times are going to be shorter than if you hadn't gone. Yeah. So... Uh, there are lots of things that can be done. So yeah, getting, doing that side of things whilst at the same time, there's all sorts of things that we forget about like sleep and exercise yeah. and actually spending time with people, with friends and you know having relationships that often can be extra difficult because of the anxiety, but still, mm. and often the exercise can be difficult because of the anxiety and often the sleep can be difficult because of the anxiety. But if you are able to prioritize some of those things too, there's there's a good impact uh, that they can have in combination. And ultimately, just do not suffer in silence because, yeah, again, from personal experience, the moment you out these things, it's it's such a massive transition. A, to, to feel normalised because you'll be surprised how many people struggle mm. as well. Oh, and stay off social media. The worst <laughs> that place for anxiety. Mostly. <laughs> do not do not start scrolling and no. uh, we all know that feeling when you're like I should be putting my phone down I should be putting my phone down yeah I'm not convinced it causes anxiety no, but, but it, it definitely contributes yeah, to exactly. it if you if you are struggling with it that, that's the thing the, the times when you're doing that really bad scrolling is often when yeah. you're feeling yeah there'd be much better uses of your time I asked my audience how we should save the NHS we, yeah, we know. it's too late you lost your chance yeah. December's gone and passed um, yeah, I don't think we really can right now. I think we have to wait and see what the wonderful world of Brexit brings. See where we end up. And, uh, yeah, I'm not massively optimistic, unfortunately. I think it's not... I don't think it's ever going to look exactly the same as it once did because it can't because we... As long as it continues to be underfunded, people are continuing to have children. And so the population is increasing. The amount of doctors is increasing but not in proportion to the amount of patients mm. and the amount of money that goes into the NHS is also increasing but not to the proportion that it needs to be mm. so this whole thing of like oh yes but we've increased the budget by this amount great but that isn't going to cover it it's you know it's like buying a bigger house and going well I've got this much more money for rent say so, yeah but your rent is actually double now yeah. oh yeah but it's fine because I've increased it you're being naive yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah we, we need more money and more doctors whilst that's not going to happen and whilst that hasn't been happening over the last 
15 years or however long it's been, then unfortunately the money has to come from somewhere else. You can't run a service without money. It has no. Money has to be found from somewhere. And so that's the reason why parts of the NHS have been sold to private companies because they needed the money in the short term. Yeah. Uh, and that's a problem that has been created by the government. So it's an issue. But yeah, you can't really buy those back because again, to buy them back, yeah. you have to have a surplus of money Which and that's never going to happen. No, so that's gone. You know, those services like, you know, like going and I'm sure people will, will know of times when they've been sent to go and have a, an x-ray in a private clinic, for example, rather than in, in a hospital because the private clinic has a deal with their local GP and so they get their chest x-ray there or they have their blood test done privately mm-hmm. or, you know, they're now using private hospitals to have NHS operations, for example, now. Uh, you know, all this kind of stuff is only going to continue and get more and more. Um, so, yeah, I know that's a bit of a no, it's the reality. question. And what does the future look like for you? How are you going to continue to do this juggle between... With great skill and dexterity. <laughs> I'm being tired. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon. In closing, I suppose, what would your alternative career have been? If, what would you have been if you weren't a doctor or a social media person? Well, before I wanted to be a doctor, my first like job role that I thought I was going to do was I was going to be chess champion of the world because <laughs> I was really cool as a kid. And then it was like a toss-up between being a chef and being a rock star. I mean, there's, there, there, it's quite a broad spectrum. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think it would have to be something, yeah. if it was reliable, something to do with music um, or something to do with cooking. I know that's two different things, but yeah. But it's really nice to be able to get into some of the like little nitty gritty stuff that mm. you just don't even have the opportunity to ask. And often you only presented a certain version of it, either on television or when you go into hospitals yourself when you're irrational so thank you it's been very informative and thank you for doing an amazing superhuman job that's all right now we're going to get to the bit in a minute that i you've meant to be thinking about in the back of your head first of all where can people find you and is there anything you want to shout about if you type in dr joshua just dr dr joshua then i should come up on instagram and uh yeah if you type in my name my full name on like apple podcasts and things you'll get all sorts of podcasts i've been on so that'll be fun and then the honest confessions that i mentioned to you at the beginning so these are some of other people's ones and then you can do yours in a minute just so i can tell whether mine's good enough. yeah (laughs) so i asked them to complete the sentence i'll be honest i fancy a shag (laughs) fucking hate going to the park that is definitely written by a parent i've met my soulmate already but it's not the man i'm married to oh oh (sighs) Yeah, like, that was... I was like, wow. Um, I'll be honest, I think the NHS is over. I really need a poo. I hate my, the fact that my dad is a Brexiteer. Yeah. I'm phobic of cold egg, but don't mind it hot. <laughs> Have severe anxiety, but don't want to waste the doctor's time. You definitely won't be wasting the doctor's time. You should definitely go. And then what's your honest confession? I mean, I thought of one and then I keep trying to think of a different one. So I'm assuming I have to think of go with the first one. Yeah. Um, Used to steal from the local corner shop as a kid. What did you steal? Tubs of Pringles. I mean, they are hot property. My Part of me is quite impressed that I managed to get like the the big tubs, not the little ones. The little Um, ones? Yeah, exactly. Part of me is relatively impressed that I managed to do that and never get caught. And part of me is obviously ashamed. Horrified. Where did you up your your coat? uh, No, no, like... Off the sh- into like a rucksack. I how I did it. I it was I I didn't practice at home. I don't know how I managed to do this, but yeah, it was for good reason. 
was. <laughs> but you really wanted kid. Pringles. No, no, I was. Look, see, now you're going to feel bad for mocking me. Okay. Um, <laughs> Go on then. No, so I mentioned earlier that my dad's now college. Yeah. So there would be times when <laughs> he would like think he'd fed us as and kids and be like, all right, bedtime. And be like, but, uh, and if we said we hadn't had food, we'd get in trouble, right? So we, it would then be like, I'd get to the point where I'd be like, why? Well, I need to really make sure that I eat before I go home. So it was on the way home from school. Or, you know, have a stash of food in oh. my in my in my bedroom right. that, yeah so that was yeah that was an interest I mean, you know the whole relationship with food thing is there's yeah. some of why i Survival. understand some of this stuff some yeah. of why i have some of this compassion about this stuff that yeah. even though i come from a place of privilege there are still parts of my life that yeah, i but... remember that impacted my relationship with food um mine is i'll be honest i have really shifted my relationship with food and dieting thanks to laura and a lot of other things but you, I still have to repeatedly remind myself that on Mondays because you go to start that diet again. You're like, oh, no, I don't do that anymore. Same after Christmas, same before holidays. Mm. But what a relief it is to be p- over that particular <laughs> phase of my life. Yeah. So that's that. That feels like quite a nice round ending, which is good. Yeah. I've been Clemmy Telford and this lovely gentleman has been Dr. Joshua. Um, <laughs> and this has been Honestly. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe and tell your mates all about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Honestly. If you found this week's episode interesting, which I hope you did, I'd love to know your thoughts. So please do give me a rating or review and even better, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get each week's episode delivered straight to you.